Dennis Kinlaw was the president of Asbury College for 18 years, leading the school through the 1970 revival. In 1983, he founded the Francis Asbury Society to promote the message of scriptural holiness. We hope you enjoy this message from Dr. Kinlaw. Let me share with you a passage from the New Testament from the Gospel according to Mark. Chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark. I'm sure a familiar story to you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. The men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Today is, this weekend is the beginning of my 16th year in this position. The other day it shocked me to realize that only two other presidents of Asbury College have been president longer than I have. The man who founded it was president for 15 years. This is the beginning of my 16th. One of the things that made me think about that was the amount of enthusiasm that I find rising up within me at the beginning of a year. You'd think when you get as old as I am and been around as long as I have that it would begin to be sort of routine, wouldn't you? But I find tremendous excitement in me at the beginning of a new year and tremendous excitement at the privilege of having this evening with you, this hour to share with you. I think one of the reasons is, and I draw this conclusion after some thinking, is there is a mystery in the potential in every human life. An incredible mystery. And it takes a lifetime to find out what the potential is in any single individual human life. There's no way you can predict it. There's no way you can be ahead of the game and say, this one's going to win and that one's going to lose. 
Because as you go through life, you find there are a lot of surprises, and the people you didn't think would be so significant are the real winners, and the people that you said they've got it made before they start, oftentimes those are the great tragedies in life. So I find myself thinking about the beginning of a new year, a new student beginning, what is to be probably one of the four most important years of your life. A year when you will make decisions that will affect the rest of your life. A year when you will build resources on which you will draw the rest of your life. There is a sense in which a year in college is a bit like a pit stop for fuel in an automobile race. You're not going to go any farther than the fuel in your gas tank. When the fuel in your gas tank's expended, it's over with until you get some more. Now, a year in college is like pit stop for fuel to figure out how much, what the resources are going to be that you're going to live on. But let me go back for a moment to talk about the excitement in the mystery of what's buried in a single individual. I remember a man who influenced my life a great deal, oftentimes spoke from this pulpit. He grew up in the mountains of North Carolina without a great many advantages, without many of the advantages that you have or that I have. But he became one of the greatest preachers that I ever had the privilege of hearing preach. I remember whenever I heard he was speaking anywhere, I would make it my business, if it were possible, if it was possible, to get there to hear him. One night I heard him speak, and he spoke on a very strange text from the book of Judges. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. That was his text. And he spent the evening developing it. And uh, I listened to him, and I thought, what under the sun is he going to get out of this? And then, as he worked along, after about eight minutes, I thought, ah, I've heard him flop. And I thought he was pleased about it. What is there about us that there's a certain amount of fun when we see the real winners don't do so well and that they can do they can do like the rest of us too? But then he began to get into his message. And you know what his message was? Out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness. His message was basically this. You don't expect meat out of the eater. You expect the lion to eat, consume the meat, not to provide it. And out of the strong, you really don't expect sweetness. Somewhere or other, we expect sweetness out of that which is fragile, maybe even the crust. But he said, out of the strong came forth sweetness. Out of a lion, you will remember, came the honey. He said, that's the way with God. You can never predict him. He's the God of the unlikely. And he enjoys taking that which nobody particularly values and showing infinite worth in it. He went on to deal with human individuals and he said, you know, I'm glad you weren't on the committee that picked out the disciples. Because if you'd been on the committee picking out disciples to establish the kingdom of God and to win the world for Christ, you certainly wouldn't have started with a bunch of fishermen like those guys that Jesus picked up. And he went down through human history, some of the unlikely ones that God has chosen to do great things. 
He said, take, for instance, a guy like uh, one of the greatest preachers in American history. was a man by the name of Charles G. Finney. went completely. Charles G. Finney was a country lawyer. Nobody ever expected anything out of him. And he turned one segment of the United States upside down. Maybe the most famous preacher in Britain and America in a century was a man who was a shoe clerk in a shoe store. Nobody ever expected anything out of him. In fact, they said he was the only man in the world that could pronounce Jerusalem with one syllable. And the first time he spoke at Oxford, he spoke on Daniel in the lines then, and they about laughed him out because he couldn't pronounce Daniel in good fashion. Then he said, I'm glad you weren't on the committee to pick me out. Because if you'd been looking for a preacher, I'm the last one you would have ever picked. He said, you see, God called me to preach, and when I told my father, he said, it can't be. And when I told my mother, she didn't think much more enthusiastically. And when I told my pastor, he wondered, but he gave me a chance. And so he said, I worked like a dog and got a 36-point outline ready for my prayer meeting talk. And he stood up with my 36, he said, I stood up with my 36-point outline and forgot every one of them was so humiliated that I couldn't keep on going and had to sit down. So that night as I walked home, my father got out ahead of me. This is in the days before automobiles and for people like that, and he was walking along with his lantern in the hilly country of western North Carolina. And he said, you know, I was crushed, humiliated. said, I went running to try to catch him, finally caught up with him. Walked along for quite a long time in the light of his lantern, uh, humiliated, you know, crushed. He didn't say anything, and I didn't say anything. Finally, he said, my father cleared his throat. And then he began to speak. And he said, son, you can't preach. God knows you can't preach. I know you can't preach. Now the whole church knows you can't preach. And the whole countryside, for God's sake, forget it. That fellow looked up at his father, crushed. He said, Daddy, I know I can't preach. And you know I can't preach. And the church knows I can't preach. But apparently God doesn't know. Because he won't let me go. You know, there was a time when he was one of the few preachers in America that when he appeared on the, in the pulpit at Duke University Chapel, he was the only one, only preacher that the whole divinity school faculty made it a custom to come out to hear. Now God enjoys that. I think, I think he gets a lot of fun out of doing the unlikely. And the person that you and I pass over, he says, ah, I've got something buried in him that's of infinite worth. So I think that's one of the reasons that I find myself very excited with every new class, with every new group like this. Now, if you are to be what God wants you to be, then you need to do something. It's not going to be done all by God. You're going to have to be a participant in it. One of the things you must do is you must look for the best, and when you find it, choose it. 
And not only must you look for the best, and when you find it, choose it, but you must find some way to be at your best and stay there. Because it, the best is not achieved by less than giving your, your best. Now, it isn't always easy to decide what's best, and it isn't always easy to stay at your best. Because there's something about us that we tend to go in first. And if you're that way, then you're like all the rest of us. So how can you choose, know and choose the best, and how can you stay at your best? Now, I think there's some helps that have, that, that we can find to help us along our way. And I want to share with you something. I've decided that all of us, if we're not, if we're normal, respond to challenges. There is something about us that if the right external stimuli are around us, we will perform differently. Do you know, uh, I notice that I perform better when somebody's watching. When nobody's watching, it's easy to load. And it's easy to drift. Now, that's stupid, isn't it? But that's just the way I am. So one of the things I've found is it's good to live exposed where people know when you flop because then you work harder at not doing. Could I give you tell you a stupid story that has made a radical difference in my life? I remember... I had a fellow tell me, he said, Dennis, you ought to put in the margin of your Bible every night where you finish reading. Just put the date, 9-4-88, at the end of the last chapter that you read. I thought, that's interesting. So I started doing it. You know, if you're going to put the date at the end of the last chapter you read every day, you've got to read a chapter every day. Isn't that, isn't that stupid? But not only that, do you know what I found? I found that when I put in my Bible in the margin, the date, 9-4-88, the date where I quit every day, you know something? I started tripling the amount I read. You know why? The horrible thought occurred to me. I'm a preacher. What if somebody picked up my Bible and found out how little Bible I read? Now, maybe you're nobler than I am. I hope you are the noble type. But if you're just the ordinary run-of-the-mill type, it's like the rest of us then get yourself exposed to what will produce the best out of you. Because, you see, one of the things I found is, it doesn't matter why you read the Bible, if you read it, it's going to affect you. If you expose yourself to it, you're going to get the benefits of that exposure. If you don't expose yourself to it, there's no way you can get the benefits of it. So learn how to play tricks on yourself and beat yourself at your own game. Now, if that's true, it's very important whom you choose for friends. 
You'll make any, any more significant decisions while you're at Asbury than the choice of who your friends are. Because you know enough, it's the truest, that there are some people who bring the best out of you. There are some people who bring the worst out of you. And there are some people who make you comfortable. And it could be that the ones who make you comfortable are the most dangerous of all. <laughs> because there's one thing about it, you're going to just go right along. It could be that if you spend a little time with the ones, now I'm not advising this, but if you spend a little time with the ones that bring the worst out of you, you'll find out how bad you are, potentially. But if you'll find the people who bring the better and the best out of you, then it will make a difference in you. Look for the people who push you and make you perform better. I know enough about you and about human life to know that you know, if you're a fella, there are certain girls that if you date them, they're going to bring something out of you that's less than the best. And there some of you girls that you know that there are certain fellas, if you date them, they're going to bring out of you something that will produce guilt and regret. And there are some people of the opposite sex. If you have a personal friendship, relationship with, date, you're going to find that they bring the best out of you. And do you know you're responsible for the consequences? And you get the benefit when you've chosen right. You won't make any greater decisions while you're here other than your relationship to Christ than the decision about whom, who are going to be your friends. Opposite sex, same sex. I think back to some of the serendipities in my life for which I didn't deserve, didn't do anything to merit them. God plopped them in my life. But then I was responsible and accountable for what I did with them. When I was a student here, I remember an older student who turned to me one day and said, there are a group of us, a group of fellows, and we've got a prayer meeting that meets on Thursday noon. We skip lunch. Would you like to meet with us? We're trying to improve our own spiritual lives and trying to be a witness on campus. I found myself in that group. Now, one of the reasons was there were some campus leaders in that and sort of flattered my ego to be invited. But then when I got in, I began to learn what kind of group it was. I, then I had a question as to whether I wanted to stay. Because do you know one of the things they do? Every fall and every spring, we go off for a weekend retreat. And the climax of the retreat was when they'd set you down in a chair in the middle and the whole bunch would sit around you and tell you everything wrong with you. They called them truth sessions. And man, they could be brutal. But do you know something? Some of the best things that happened to me happened in that group with fellows that cared enough about me to say, Kinlaw, and then score you know, I remember one fellow when I was here. He was a head resident in my dormitory. He lived in Fletcher then. It was a men's dormitory, four floors. He called me one day and said, 
Henlaw, you're 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 really playing the fool. I said, what do you mean? Well, he said, let me tell you something. God has a block out there in the kingdom. He said, you know, the kingdom is like a stone structure, and the stones are people. And in the program and the plan that he has for his kingdom, he's got a block. It's got Dennis Kinlaw's name tagged on it. He said, do you know how well you're going to be able to fill that block is determined by how you take advantage of your opportunity. And he said, it looks to me like you're going to be a peanut in a brick hole. I said, what do you mean? He said, instead of seizing your opportunities to be ready for your place, you're missing them, and everyone you miss makes you that much less able to fill the place he has for you. And man, I could see that big gaping hole all around me for the rest of my day. Now, you know, you need some people who will talk to you like that. Now, uh, there are those of the opposite sex. There are those that are of the same sex. There are some special people that most of us need. Let me tell you about one in my life. I'm not sure of all the circumstances that led to it. But I remember I developed a friendship with a girl who was teach who was in the seminary. She'd been a public school teacher, and she must have been 10 years older than I. When you're 17 and the boy and the girl woman is 27, you know, it's like your grandmother. But do you, but, but do you know what she did? At least it was in those days. But do you know somehow or other, she began, uh, we began meeting together and drinking a cup of hot chocolate or a Coke together and a peanut butter sandwich, something like that, cookie, every Saturday afternoon after lunch, my whole freshman year. And do you know what was at the heart of those sessions? She'd look at me and say, Dennis, how much scripture did you read this week? I didn't come to reach college to read scripture. I came to college to get an education. She said, but it won't count if you don't know the word of God. Now, I didn't have any choice the first time she asked me that. But I had a choice as to whether I'd give her a chance to ask it the second time. And some way or other, in the wisdom of goodness and mercy of God, I exposed myself to that for a year. Then after she'd asked me, how much Bible have you read? She'd say, how much have you prayed this week? Now, I couldn't, I couldn't avoid it the first time she asked me that. But from then on, I permitted it. Let me ask you, will you permit God to put in your life the people that will challenge you to be your best? The people you expose yourself to, sometimes you win. Sometimes you hang your head. But you know, nobody ever changes for the better without a certain amount of pain. So don't walk away from it. Walk into it and embrace it. And let those Gifts that God can drop into your life to make you a better person. 
Use them for your own good and for His glory. Now let me say something about teachers. Choose the tough one. Don't ever choose a course because it's easy. That is sin. <laughs> Unless you've got a real reason for justifying. There may be a case when in the tragedies of life you can justify. But under normal circumstances, when you choose it because it's easy, you're reducing your capacity to fill the hole that God has for you in his kingdom. Now, uh, don't go for grade first. Go for learning. Now, I may be the only one that you'll hear say that here. But do you know it's much better to be educated than to be a four-point student? And there's some people smart enough they can pick their way through and come through with an illustrious record and never reach their potential. They're cheated. I'm cheated. And the world is. Now, you know a funny thing? I think the only B I made in college was in a course that was a script course. Funny, if it doesn't demand much, you'll perform poorly. You know where you'll perform best? When the challenge is there. And get where you're put and challenged so you can grow. Best course I ever had in graduate school was one I didn't get any credit for because I made a big fat C on it. And do you know what a C is in graduate school? It's like a D in college. It just doesn't count except negatively. It's there on your record for all to see that in graduate school you made a C. Made it a one of the two best courses I ever had. I didn't have the prerequisites for it. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't have any hooks to hang anything on that went sailing past my ears. Sixty percent of went what went past my ears, I never knew past. But do you know the forty percent? Best one of the two best courses I ever had. Changed the direction of my life. Look for the stuff that will push you and make you produce. Your generation is the Olympic generation. And anybody in this generation knows that nobody wins without pain. You know, the difference between an also-ran and the winner is the ability to absorb, absorb pain somewhere in the course of it. Now, enlarge your world. Learn the joy of mastering a subject. So when you get through, you say, yep, I can tell you about that. You won't do that by cramming. You'll do that by studying. Now, if you're going to be the best you ought to be, choose the best friends you can, choose the best teachers you can, choose the best habits you can, and develop them. You know why habits are important? Habits are important because they hold you steady when the inspiration lasts. And do you know where you win or lose? 
when the inspiration's gone. You see, the, all of us work well when we're inspired. But it's the guy who can work when he isn't inspired, or the girl who can work when she isn't inspired, that's going to move. And if your habits are right, they'll hold you steady when the inspiration's down. That's true spiritually, it's true academically, it's true in every way. It's true in terms of athletic prowess. It's what's true anywhere. Now the second thing is, habits are what will hold you steady in a crisis. When the world has disintegrated to the extent that you can't think, if the habits are there, you'll just keep going through the motions. And they'll be right. If your habits are right, when life is disintegrated on you, you'll keep making progress. So work to get your habits established. Start early, don't get behind. In any area of your life, work at it. Uh, plan to do more than is required. Make that one of your yardsticks for yourself. And don't let discouragement change your pattern. When you get discouraged, keep going. Because discouragement will pass. And usually it gives you a false picture of what is there. So keep that. Now if you're going to know the best and be the best, if external stimuli help you do the best, then you ought to look for the best external stimuli. And you know who he is? You knew where I was headed, didn't you? That's Christ himself. Do you know why we need to stay as close to him as we can? Because the closer we are to him, the better will be what is evoked out of us. I don't know about you, but I believe in the resurrection. I believe he lives. He lives as much as Elsie does. And he needs to be as much a part of my life as Elsie is. There was a preacher in Boston about a century ago who had a dream one night. And he dreamed he was preaching. He was pastor of Tremont Temple Baptist Church in downtown Boston. A very prominent preacher in a very prominent church. He said he got in the middle of his sermon and he looked back and he noticed to his shock a very strange person sitting back on his left on the end of the pew. He said he had a beard and he had on very strange clothing. He didn't have a business suit on. Didn't look like anybody else in his crowd. Hair was sort of long and he took a second look and it was not a question about it. It was Jesus of Nazareth. He said, panic ran through me. He said, man, I wish I had prepared this sermon better. He said, I wish I had worked harder at getting ready for this. How was I to know he was going to show up? <laughs> he wrote a book on when Jesus came to church and the radical transformation that took place in his ministry. Because from then on, the rest of his life, before he walked into the pulpit, he said, Jesus, I know you're going to be there. <laughs> and I've tried to get ready to be 
perform the way you want me to perform. Now I want to know if Christ is that real, vital in your life. You need to have him that way. And I want to mention some reasons why, and let him through. Do you know he never touches a life except to bless it and improve it? You think of the gospel. Anybody who ever sought him, and anybody who ever freely permitted him to touch his life, or her life, when he got through, the person was better. Bartimaeus never regretted that Jesus touched him. Because the difference is the difference between darkness and light, blindness and fear. Legion was never sorry that he touched his life because it was the difference between the demonic obsession within him and possession within him to liberation and freedom. You remember Zacchaeus took him home with him and when the conversation was over, Zacchaeus said, half of everything I've got I want to give to the poor. You've got to be pretty happy to be ready to give half of everything you own to the poor. And he said, anybody I've stolen from, I'll repay fourfold. You know, he's never touched a life where the person has sought it or permitted it freely, but that the person was better. You'll be better if you let him touch your life. You'll never be what you should be, could be, unless you let him touch you got to expose yourself to it. Secondly, he has the matchless power of turning handicaps into advantages. And I doubt if there's a kid in this crowd tonight that doesn't have a handicap somewhere. you got something wrong with you. And I give thanks. <laughs> you know, there are very, very few perfect ones around, and most of them don't count a great deal. It's the people who've got the flaws that learn how to let Christ touch them and transform them. That's the reason I read that story about paralytic. You know what I think of when I read that story now? Here's Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He wants everybody to know who he is, and he wants them to know what he can do. And suddenly, down, but he couldn't tell them who he was. If he said, I'm God, what do you think they'd have done with him? They would have done the same thing with him if I told you I was God. He couldn't tell them who he was. So here he is. He wants them to know who he is, and he wants them to know what they can, what he can do. And there are four normal people up there. They're no good. And suddenly down comes a paralytic. You know what I think happened to Jesus in his head when he saw that paralytic? I think he looked up and said, thank you, Father, now I've got my chance. And the guy's paralysis was his opportunity. And do you know that paralysis became Christ's opportunity to show who he was and what he could do? You know, Jesus is looking for people whose lives can be arenas for him to show who he is and what he can do. And do you know the ridiculous thing? It's more fun to become an occasion and a life site where he shows who he is and what he can do than it is to show who we are and what we can do. It's a whale of a lot more fun. He can take 
our limitations and make them assets if we will let them. Now, the third thing is, always when he touches a lot and the person consents, he evokes the dead. There was a young German nobleman in the early part of the 18th century, wealthy, social position, status, everything, university student. And he went in to see a picture one day in an art museum. It was a painting of Christ. The crucified Christ with his crown of thorns. And somehow as that young count stood before that picture that day, something hit him. He looked at the picture and then noticed underneath the, what was written under the picture. This is what he read. This have I done for thee. What hast thou done for me? And do you know there are moments that have eternal significance in them? And as Count Zinzendorf looked at that picture of the crucified Christ, crown, thorn crown, and read that inscription, This have I done for thee, what hast thou done for me? He was broken. And when he walked out of that art gallery, he was a different person. Do you know what came out of that? The modern missionary movement. Do you know something else? The conversion of John Wesley. And do you know what came out of that? The conversion of Francis Asbury. And do you know what came out of that? The conversion of John Wesley Hughes. And do you know what came out of that? Asbury Thomas. Why shouldn't we get excited? Because if you let him touch your life, you know the whole story of the history of the world? Since that young count stood in front of that painting in that art museum, has been different. Better. And if you let him touch your life, that's the reason chapel is so precious. Put it high on your affection list. Not because of the speakers, but because he's always here. That's the reason Hughes is very precious. Not because we're superstitious about it, but to see he is here. That's the reason church is so important. Do you know that every time you go to church, he's there whether you know it or not? Because he promised, if two of you meet together to talk about me before you finish, there'll be three. And even if the preaching's no good, and if there's nothing else of value, one of the hymns is going to be about him. And he'll be there. And in your college days, if you will expose yourself to him, 
It would be exciting to see the mystery unroll of the potential in you. And if that potential is realized, I benefit, the world benefits, eternity benefits, and you benefit. 